Today's program is brought to you by the Christmas Tree Farmers Association of New York, partnering with Grow NYC to make farm fresh trees and wreaths available at green markets. For more information, visit ChristmasTreesNY.org. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. And welcome to Fun About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Mary Izet. I'm Chris Kuzmi. And I'm Rachel Jacobs. And we're your co hosts through this weekly journey of all things fermented. Fermented About It is brought to you by Heritage Radio Network, a member supported nonprofit radio station devoted to all things food. Heritage Radio needs your support during their big end of the year fundraiser, which we are amidst. And a contribution in any amount not only supports Heritage Radio Network's 35 plus weekly programs, including Fermented About It. Uh, but also comes with exclu- exclusive member benefits like monthly best of playlists, fashionable swag, discounted event tickets, members only parties, and more. So if you like good food and you love good food radio, throw a little dough their way. You can donate to Heritage Radio Network by going to heritageradionetwork.org forward slash donate. And this is also where you can find archived episodes of Men About It and all the 35 plus shows. Uh, Right there on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Fomenta About It is also on Stitcher and iTunes. And there's a couple things coming up uh, in New York City. We're really excited to help co-organize a fermentation festival in late February. Uh, In conjunction with the New York City Brewers Guild, uh, we're going to partner up with uh, Contraband Ferments, Ferment Ferment, Fermentation Meetup, uh, JustFood.org, and Starfish Junction to put together uh, this, this Fermentation Expo. Uh, it's going to be the first weekend of New York City Beer Week, uh, which is kind of what makes it uh, possible. Mm-hmm. So we'll be supporting the New York City Brewers Guild. If you are out of town, it is an excellent time to come to New York uh, t- to hang out with all the beer th- happenings that are happening. That's February 25th to uh, March 4th. Um, but now we're incorporating this uh, this fermentation celebration. Yeah, it's going to be really cool. It's going to be like vendors, seminars, all sorts of cool things. It's in its very, very planning stages currently, but we're going to get it all together. We'll have way more info even a week from today, uh, but there is a website for it uh, that has nothing on it right now, but keep it in your back, keep it, keep in it your back fermenter. Keep it on your uh, RSS feed. That's right. NYC Fermentation Festival or NYCFermentFest.com. And if you are interested in participating or volunteering or helping out, or maybe you want to, um, you're a fermentation producer Enthusiast of some sort, producer, yeah. um, then please uh, reach out to us. We're at fomentaboutit at gmail.com. Yep. And we hope to um, maybe even uh, get a lot of uh, interviews there in honor of our 200th episode. We'll be coming up on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, today is 186, and the timing should be just right, so we're excited about that. What is today's episode? Today we're going to be talking about fantastic misos and how to make them. <laughs> so, yeah. So a couple months ago, I get uh, a Google alert. You know, you can set up Google alerts for different keywords. So I get Google alerts on ferment and fermentation just to kind of get an idea of what's going on out there, what people are doing. 
And uh, so a couple months ago, I followed, anyway, this link that had fermentation in it. It was in the Boston Globe. And it was about this guy making cookie dough, cookie dough cookie miso. Dough and I was like, what? This sounds amazing. We should definitely try to get it, see if he would be interested in on uh, being a guest. So Rachel reached out. And sure enough, we have him on the line now. So Rich Shee, are you there? Uh, yes, I am. Awesome. We're so excited. Hey. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be on your show and talk to you all about miso and um, what it takes to make it and um, how actually easy it is. So let's start. And actually, uh, you're in Boston. And we went, we headed up, the three of us headed up to the Boston Fermentation Festival earlier this year. And it turns out that we ha- we know a lot of people in common, which is pretty yes. neat. <laughs> yeah, I think you know uh, my friend uh, Jeremy Ogoski, uh, who, who, who runs the event and uh, is a very good friend of mine. That's yeah, awesome. So tell us a little bit about uh, who you, who are you? What's your background, and how did you get into fermentation? So, um, so my name's uh, uh, Rich Shea, and uh, I'm just I I like to describe myself as an enthusiastic cook, and um, I'm just a guy who really loves to eat. And um, I found that the best way to get the the best food is to make it yourself. Um, and, and the best way to get uh, information about cooking is to meet with folks who know what they're doing it, whether doing uh, whether it be you know cooks in the kitchen, chefs, um, grandmothers, you know somebody who has researched it in, in extent. Um, so I think, and uh, one of the things that I have is um, I have a technical background in engineering. So I like to think of um, the parallel of cooking and engineering as both, um, in a way, applied sciences. Yeah. And um, and one of the things that um, you know, I'm not really, I'm very adventurous. I'm not really afraid of trying anything. Um, you know, in in the sense of food. And um, there's this le- there's this part of me that's just fearless because I just want to taste it and see what it's like, um, such that I can build a library. Um, in my head, um, you know, in terms of flavors and textures and um, to be able to create new combinations that uh, folks haven't really tried or or are, are kind of a little bit off the beaten path, but it makes sense because they have the same types of um, structures or, or um, constituents. So um, in terms of fermentation, um, I didn't really start fermenting until... Um, like the end of the summer 2014 um it it all started when um i was really into fish sauce i was you know doing everything with fish sauce you know making brines with fish fish sauce Uh, and they i made bacon with fish sauce and uh you know i would i would cure eggs with with fish sauce and cure fish roe so I was really into it, and then um, one of the things I wanted to do because I was so into it was learn how to make it. And I discovered that somebody in my area, um, a chef by the name of Jeff Lucas, was making it. And uh, basically, I befriended him uh, through social media on Twitter, um, having followed his stuff, and you know, got an invite to, to to his restaurant. And then he just started showing me a bunch of the ferments he was working on. No, he was doing a bunch of lacto ferments, you know, the fish sauce. He was fermenting garlic and vinegar. I mean, he was doing. A, he was just starting on his journey of uh, making ferments, but uh, the combinations he was doing was were pretty amazing, and that pretty much got me into fermenting. 
And the key thing that happened in terms of my relationship with, with him is that he um, then uh, was the, um, he was running a brunch that was hosted by Sandor Katz. So he was doing a whole bunch of ferments from um, all over the world. And he asked me to basically make koji and ogiri for him. Um, so koji is, you know, the stuff that we're going to talk about that's the main driver for um, creating miso and the wonderful flavors of that. Uh, so that's kind of my tie into starting to make miso is that that event um, that we were working on for uh, the for for brunch uh, that ho- that was hosted by Sandra Katz. So they just kind of threw it at you and were like, "Make koji." What's that? So they just kind of threw it at you and were like, "Oh, make koji," and you didn't really have any experience in that yet. Yeah. Well, he. I mean, we we had done a bunch of things together in terms of um, playing around with experiments, and he knew that I had kind of a brain for investigating things and figuring out how to do them. Uh, so. So it was kind of a no-brainer thing for him that, because he had so many other ferments that he had to, to manage for him to, you know, at least give me a chance to, to try to do it. And fortunately enough, I, w- I did some research, and I was able to quickly find, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Brandon Byers of um, the Firm Up podcast. Yeah, um, but, but he has, um, he has a, basically a, a very simple way to build an incubator using a cooler um, uh, aquarium bubbler and aquarium heater where you can create the environment uh, that is essential for making koji. Yep. And so so then I, I actually, you know, I, I read up a little bit about what he was doing and then I reached out to him and he was generous enough to share with me every every specific aspect of it down to like which which things he bought and also, the cooler that you buy is very specific because you can fit a hotel pan in it exactly. So you don't even have to do any special cutting or rigging. It's just you buy these items, and then you just set them all together, and you're ready to go. Cool. So let's let's start with um, what is koji? Uh, so koji is basically... Um, it's basically an inoculated grain uh, that is... Um, that, that is inoculated with um, a very specific mold that has been isolated to create um, wonderful uh, flavors. But the, the main driver behind it is that the mold called Aspergillus orizi, and I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly, um, it is a mold that basically is uh, very specific to creating enzymes. So in terms of miso, um, to get the flavors, the complex flavors that you get out of it, that umami bit, and just um, kind of over a long period of time, also Maillard reactions, um, it basically has protease, proteases in it, and it breaks down uh, proteins into amino acids that in, are desirable to us in terms of flavor. Uh, and that's what it kind of gives food its rich body. Um, it, of course, you know, things like you know, with high nutrition in terms of meat and, um, and you know, in terms of also we, we are aware of it in mushrooms and tomatoes, uh, but it's one of those things that uh, a long time ago they were able to isolate this very specific mold to, to create uh, these, en- to be able to take advantage of these enzymes to make um, 
make soybeans, you know, in terms of the miso conversion, uh, tastes very delicious and um, um, full of body. And this is also, koji is also used for, like, sake, because when you're talking about these enzymes, it's able to convert starches to sugar. I That's believe. right, because uh, it has amylase in it. So, so when you do when you make koji, one of the um, one of the really neat things about it is that you can actually smell the sweetness of the koji, and it's kind of um, to me. I think, and a lot of other koji makers, is it's somewhat um, an addicted. You, you get addicted to that smell when you know that it's that it's blooming and it's and it's coming um, to a head. And it also tastes it tastes good. I mean, it tastes sweet. Um, but you get kind of that moldy fuzziness as you would with, you know, a rind cheese that has, has mold on it that you, you can actually taste that fuzziness on your tongue. Cool. So talk a little bit about the process. So in making koji, I have, have made some fermentations, but I've always purchased my koji. I've never made my own koji. So talk to, talk a little bit about how you make your own koji. So, um, so to make your own koji, um, the, the one thing that you do need is a way to incubate the grains. Um, so that, that involves having something that can create humidity uh, at a certain level and also maintain um, a, a specific temperature. Uh, typically what people, what I've seen out there is 86 degrees uh, uh, in terms, and 30, uh, 30C um, that you hold. So you have this environment that you would hold the grains for you know, 48 hours, and that's kind of the typical recommendation. Um, so the way that you actually start koji is that you t- what you do is you take a grain, and you you typically pre-soak it, and then you then you steam it for a period of time, such that you create a grain that has been uh, cooked to what most people would would understand as like when you cook pasta al dente. It's not done, but there's a bite to it. Um, the, key, the reasoning for that is that you want the grain to stay, have structure, uh, but still be moist enough such that the, um, the uh, aspergillus will, will infiltrate it and uh, consume the starches. But you don't want it to be too sticky because that inhibits the growth of the mold. So you kind of have to have this balance between um, cooking it enough to, to allow the, the mold to infiltrate and then not cook it too much so it's sticky and then it, it inhibits the, um, the growth of the mold. And then you actually, you actually end up getting growth of, you know, uh, less desirable things like bacteria and then it just, it just sours and it's, it's not what you want. So once you cook the grain to that level, what you tend to do is you, you basically put it, you basically layer it in a bed. Um, well, actually, you, you cool it first, sorry. You cool it to um, basically it's recommended that it's body temperature. So anything under 110 degrees F or uh, I think it's like 43C is what you would want to have the grain at after you have cooked it. And basically it's a blank slate now because you've, you've You've uh, eliminated any sort of bad microbes. So, so once you've cooked it and then cooled it, what you do is you you sprinkle in a little bit of the um, uh, mold spores uh, that you can buy specifically, depending on which you know which type of uh, ferment you know which type of koji you want, whether it be miso koji, soy sauce koji. They're all different kinds depending on what your driver is. 
And these are like different re- variety, basically different. Ver- they're basically different varieties or different species of aspergillus. That's right. And then the different species actually drive um, different characteristics. So sake would have more, you know, I would assume would have more amylase, um, you know, ability to break down starches into sugars. And then if it's more miso-based, you would get more protease enzymes to break down proteins. Cool. What so kind then of- you basically just, you know, you have clean hands, and then typically you just keep mixing it by hand for, you know, a good period of time such that you have inoculated the bed. And then you just, um, you basically set it down in a layer, and then... Um, and then you, then you put a cloth over it, and then you put it into your incubator. And then the typical recommendation that I've seen out there that I follow is that you, you mix it every uh, 12 hours. And then after the first day, um, it, after the first day, you, what you want to do is you, you actually create these, like, rows, um, um, kind of like um, when you, when you, uh, when you, when you plant a uh, garden or when you're farming, you have rows such that it helps to dissipate the heat that's created uh, when when the koji is, um, um, you know, eating the grains and then creating heat because you don't want to overheat the koji because when you overheat the koji, you actually cause it to sporulate and it doesn't uh, give you the result. It basically stops the process. Mm. What are we doing? So then after a couple of days, you end up with koji, and it's this enzyme-packed grain, uh, and then you use that to create your, your, your second fermentation, whether it be, you know, sake, you know, miso, or whatever else that you would want to do. We're going to take a quick break and come back and talk about that step two miso. Yep. We'll be right back on Ferment About It. Ferment About It. Ever wonder where your Christmas tree came from? Now you don't have to. New York State-grown Christmas trees are now available in New York City. Trees grown on farms here in New York State are harvested just a few days before arrival to the city. Trees cut close to home stay fresh longer, and trees cut close to home travel less, which reduces fuel consumption of delivery vehicles. Did you know that buying a real tree helps to sustain agriculture in New York State by supporting local farmers and keeping important open space in agriculture production? The Christmas Tree Farmers Association of New York is partnering with Grow NYC to make farm fresh trees and wreaths available at green markets in Brooklyn, Queens, and Manhattan. So when you shop local this holiday season, you can include the tree in that list. For more information and a full list of locations, visit ChristmasTreesNY.org. Welcome back to episode 186 of Men About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Supported completely by the listeners, you please go to HeritageRadioNetwork.org and donate now to keep supporting uh, our, our network of 35 shows. We, we are because of you, and this is all volunteer for us. Uh, thank you for listening and being here. Today, we're talking to Richard Shi of OurCookQuest.blogspot.com. We're in the middle of talking about how to make uh, koji and then transferring to make turning that into miso and other things so we were just talking about uh, uh ko- koji uh rich are you concerned at all at when we're making koji about uh, oxygen levels and you talked a little bit about the environment but how much do you do or do you do anything to address oxygen um in turn 
I mean, in terms of when you make it, um, I, I, I'm not really, you're not really concerned with oxidation because um, it, it's pretty much doing its thing as a mold to, um, to, to break down the, the starches into, into, the en into enzymes. So I've never had an, I've actually never thought about it in that way. I mean, in terms of oxidation, it's mostly concerning when you're making miso that you don't want it to oxidize, and that's why it's, it's packed in such a way that um, when, when it does start to really get on the ferment with the yeast creating carbon dioxide, that it allows it to bubble up and out, and um, the compaction remains such that it's, it's a sealed environment. Right, so you've got positive um, pressure going out, and it's not an issue at that point. Right, and then, and then in terms of koji, you, you want to, typically if you've made it fresh, you want to use it right away such that you don't um, start getting, you know, other, you know, other microbes in there that you wouldn't want um, because it, it is a high-sugar environment that um, other microbes would be happy to, to, to start chowing down on. So typically if you're not going to use it, um, you know, Soon you want to refrigerate it or freeze it or dry it. Yep. Cool. So talk about the steps that you use to turn this fresh koji to use it to make miso. And I guess actually, you know so, what? Why don't we talk a little bit about what miso is? Because I don't think that's something that everyone's familiar with. I took a, a miso workshop a couple years ago, but it's not it's not a super common, I'd say, in, in everyone's um, culinary repertoire. I think people mostly associate miso soup, but they don't really know what that is. Yeah. Right. So, so basically, uh, miso is, um, you know, the very basic miso is cooked soybeans, that is with that that you add koji and salt to, and you allow it to ferment in a very specific, you know, in, in a, under like compaction condition conditions. So what happens is that when you take the cooked um, soybeans and you add the koji to it, the enzymes start doing their work to break down the proteins to create um, amino acids and um, in turn delicious flavors. So I think one of the um, parallels that you know, basically that people can relate to is that if you think about soy sauce and how it has a high salt content, but it has a very delicious flavor, miso kind of falls into that same realm. It has a slightly different flavor because um, it doesn't have the, the wheat in it, but, and it's, and it's done a slightly different way. But in terms of the driver of the enzymes and the deliciousness, it's the same thing as koji. So what I tend to say to people is that if they're, if they understand how to cook with soy sauce or, or, or some sort of uh, concentrated paste, like, you know, most of the time people will, will be familiar with using, um, you know, using uh, Parmesan cheese or, you know, a strong pesto uh, to be able to add to, to dishes such that it's kind of the same thing is that you think about it as a delicious um, concentrated salt. Yeah, I always think about, like, <clears throat> add that extra umami, like, when I'm doing certain vegetarian dishes specifically, I, I, I use miso in almost everything nowadays just because it gives it that kind of extra depth and extra punch. So you have you sent us samples, by the way. You did an awesome job of packaging them. Um, <laughs> Thanks. And delicious. they are freaking delicious. We've yeah. been like we're munching on them. So yeah, we, really we ordered some. We're at Roberta's Pizza, which is an absolutely amazing restaurant and pizza joint in Bushwick, oh. Brooklyn. So we ordered a loaf of their house-made bread and house-made butter, and then I picked up oh, awesome. a um, a thing of whole wheat lavash at at the uh, bodega across the street. 
So we're kind of sampling it with that. So tell us about, we, we just tasted a peanut miso. So misos are usually made from soybeans, traditional misos. That's what I've, um, I know you can make them from a variety of things. But traditionally, it's like soybeans, maybe some rice and bar. I think I've had a barley miso before, but I've never had yes. a peanut miso. No. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Peanut miso has been, um, I guess, one of the um, modern um, derivations. I mean, it's it's documented in the, the book of miso by Shirtless and Ayo Yagi. I'm probably I'm definitely butchering her last name. But um, it's just something that's super simple. If you want to make miso and you don't even want to cook, I mean, I don't, I don't even cook any of my nuts when I ever, whenever I do it. Um, basically, you just, you just grind them up into a butter, or you can actually use peanut butter that you that you purchase. That's you know raw peanut butter, um, and then, and then. Um, for, in some extent, you want to kind of defat it because there is a, a risk of rancidity um, over a period of time, especially if you do a long-term miso. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of people are doing nuts um, uh, that I'm aware of, of, of folks out there in the miso community who are doing their own. Um, I like to do it because it's, it tastes delicious, and I don't know if you guys... I mean, it, it's kind of cool to compare the, um, the color between what you have in front of you and actually standard peanut butter, uh, which you can actually do with the, the, the peanut butter that I sent you that I mixed miso into. Yeah, the, the peanut yeah, miso is darker. definitely darker. So peanut, so you're, the peanuts, <clears throat> so basically you're mixing, you're taking your peanuts, you're grinding that, you're soaking them but not cooking them, grinding them, defatting them slightly, probably what, just like letting it settle and, and removing some of the fat from the, or from the oil from the top. Yeah, actually, I'm not even. I'm not even. I mean, I'm just. Um, I'm just like either roasting my own peanuts or I'm buying roasted peanuts. Okay. So, you, so you don't need to. I mean, they've they've kind of been they've been cooked in a not boiled fashion. Right. But if you think of a peanut, I mean, the peanuts are legumes, so they do fall into, you know, the same family as you know beans in general. Yes, and soybeans. Um, right. Then you you're grinding them, and then adding yeah, then mixing in the koji. So, so yeah. So, so my my basic ratio is you take um, equal parts of koji and uh, and whatever medium you want, and then you just add five percent salt on that. And um, I've been I've been just following a standard recipe that um, you know is is more towards the short term because it has um, you know somewhat less salt than the long term stuff and more koji. But um, I found that if you, you let it, if you follow the appropriate precautions in terms of, you know, sanitation and prepping it properly, um, I've, I've never had an issue with the miso. Uh, the only time I ever have a, an issue with the miso is when I do something that has high fat and I don't pay attention. Like, I just let it go, um, you know, um, I just let it go without regards for temperature. Uh, so that's that's one of the things is just be aware of like if you do something with high fat, fat content, um, I I try to do it in a refrigerator or a cool environment. Right, that makes sense. <clears throat> right, so I have a question about that. So you didn't just send us this amazing peanut miso and this peanut butter miso. You sent us a variety of very interesting misos. We also have a milk powder, crab apple miso, and a uh, and a yogurt jalapeno miso hot sauce. So can you tell us about how you like? decided to make these varieties and what makes a good miso versus what doesn't turn out so well? So I think, I think the, the baseline um, 
the baseline uh, rule for making good miso is that you want a medium with high protein content. So what I did a while ago is I would, you know, just look at nutritional facts, uh, a very base level of um, understanding protein levels, and I would take and I would utilize things with high protein content. So, um, so I, one of the first kind of funny experiments I did was I, I did a regatta miso, which I basically took equal parts regatta, koji, and, and 5% salt, and I refrigerator um, fermented it just so I could kind of um, keep the, the bad bacteria, you know, bad stuff at bay while the enzymes were doing the work. So that allowed me to actually create something in terms of a cheese-like flavor, um, kind of you know, I, I'd like to say that it's kind of Parmesan-like um, within the within the course within the period of a couple months. Oh, and then very cool. what I did, yeah. So then what I did after that was after tasting, I said, "Wow, this is pretty great." I wrung it out and I actually hung it uh, for another month to dry it, and then I ended up using it um, grated on all sorts of dishes. So. I mean, with the enzymatic power of koji, you can do so many wonderful things that um, you shouldn't be limited by, what, you know, the current rules because all you need is protein and, a, you know, and a little bit of, you know, and, and salt. And, of course, it needs to have, like, a, a moisture to it so the enzymes can do their work. So the enzymes can kind of freely move yeah, basically. That's right. What temperatures are you doing your misos at? Uh, so basically, I just I just stick them in a cool basement. Um, so you know, basically, no, I don't have any sort of control other than if I'm doing a refrigerator ferment. I mean, so I, it just goes through the seasons as a normal, like as a normal miso would go through. Okay. So the, so the way that so that's the also the beauty of it is that. Um, you don't have to worry too much about the environment. Um, I mean, there are conditions where you don't necessarily want it to be under, uh, if it has a lot of fat and you don't want it to be in that environment for a period of time, but it's, it's pretty bulletproof. Um, the way that the Japanese catalog years of how long a miso has been um, under fermentation is that it's how many summers that it goes through. So a two-year miso is two summers. And typically when you make miso, what you want to do is make it um, uh, when, the, uh, when the bad microbe level, like when the microbe activity is low. So typically, what, you know, at harvest season, at harvest is the perfect time is when it's, it's going to be cold for a while to kind of keep all the bad stuff at bay. And then, and then the fermentation will take off once it starts to warm up. Cool. So this milk powder miso is absolutely delicious. And you're just yeah. using, I mean, obviously powdered milk is full of protein, so that makes right. sense. Where does so, a crab so apple in, come in? Yeah, what was interesting is that um, I actually visited a chef. His name's uh, uh, Patrick Susi, and I brought 20 pounds of koji, um, you know, to, to do projects with, to make miso with. And the one thing we wanted to do is we wanted to do um, a regatta miso, and he said, oh, well, I don't have any. And I said, well, do you have anything that is dairy? And he said, well, I have this milk powder, and I want to do a crabapple miso. And I said, well, if we do a crabapple miso, you're really not going to get the protein loading that you would want, so let's add some milk powder and see what happens. Uh, so 
I just I just kept adding it and it just kept soaking it up and and once it became a paste, it actually tasted horrible. Like it tasted like you're sucking on like milk powder and it's just like drying your mouth. And he was he was just convinced it would be absolutely horrible. And I, I said, just wait, it'll be fine. The the koji will do its work, and it, it'll end up being delicious. And um, yeah, and, and it did. You know, as you can see, it, it went through the Maillard reaction um, with the dark color. Um, you know, and it has a level of complexity. So yeah, yeah it's pretty it's, cool stuff. This is amazing. This yeah, is it's pretty, it's pretty apple. Yeah. How many like summers it. on this one? That was eleven months, 11 right? Eleven months. Yeah, that, that one's eleven months. Holy cow! So this, this is this is eye opening. So when I initially read about you, and I was like, "This guy's making cookie dough miso. That's insane! I've never heard of such a thing." And I, but this is yeah, I never really thought about using koji in a way that you can use it with any kind of protein. So basically, it's like for you know, it's like I make a bunch of alcoholic uh, beverages from anything with sugar in it, as long as it doesn't have too many preservatives. This is kind of the miso, same concept. Okay. You can make anything, you know, kind of miso, miso anything as long as it, it has, has enough, enough protein. protein. Yeah, just, I mean, I think that that's always been my attitude in terms of uh, fermenting things is just, you know, just follow the guidelines that aren't going to get you sick, and you can try all sorts of things. I mean, I, you know, I've tried, I've done butter, I've done bacon, I've done avocado, you know, I've done raw egg, I've done all these things. I mean, um, I, you know, and, and I think the, the most successful ones are the ones that I've done with dairy just because it's kind of basically you're making a, a, a really you're accelerating the process of making cheese right what is the general shelf life once a miso is ready uh on a, on a miso uh in terms of how long like, can you keep it, it if you keep it in the refrigerator it's gonna go bad right um so i haven't I mean, I usually go through the miso like within the year because I'll give it away or, or you know, be uh, you know, putting it on a menu. So it doesn't really sit longer than a year. I guess I could try to like keep stuff longer, but as long as you haven't put a lot of fat in it and you have the appropriate salt content for the duration, you shouldn't worry about it going bad. You sh- the only the only concern you have is if you want to stabilize the condition that it's in because you think it's really great, you should refrigerate it or freeze it and just stop the fermentation process. Right. So tell us about this yogurt jalapeno miso hot sauce, which is also amazing. This is insane. Yeah. I love this. Yeah, I, I'm sure it'd be great on pizza. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm actually eating, well, we ate it with a little bread and butter like you suggested, and then I'm just eating it straight with these, the, these lavash crackers, and they're awesome. Yeah, that's the one thing that I played with is after I did the regatta miso, I was like, well, a lot of people use whey as their um, as their um, kind of kickstarter for hot sauces. And then I said, well, why don't I use, I had a bunch of leftover yogurt and I was making hot sauce at the same time. I was like, well, why don't I just add some koji, add some, basically you're adding umami and, you know, an umami bomb cheese to a hot sauce. Like, how can that not be good? So, <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's amazing. So you fermented it. Was it you fermented it all together, or basically? Yeah, yeah. I just fermented the. So I put in koji, equal parts koji, and um, and uh, I think that one is a jalapeno. So I just pureed some jalapenos, um, and then I added salt, and then I just let it go. Man, it is delicious. Chris and I are big fans of hot sauce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, we have a lot of hot sauce in our apartment. Um, and yeah, that's his this is delicious. So let's talk about what else What else do you have going on or what do you have planned? You have some future plans. Tell us about some of that. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, you know, because I enjoy cooking so much and I ex- enjoy interacting with people who love cooking. And I'm also find- always finding myself hanging out with somebody who knows something more than I do about something and exchanging ideas or exchanging food. or So... My idea is to kind of put together a, an educational collaborative center where where people can come and, you know, learn from all, at all levels um, and also just come and talk about what they know. Or, you know, if, if you have a skill set that can be traded or, or kind of bartered, because I'm always into, you know, hey, you know, I know how to do this, you know how to do that, let's, let's figure out a way to help each other out and learn from each other and grow. And, I just, I mean, I kind of want to bring back what has been lost in fermentation and making your own food in general and just be able to let that come back and blossom again because it's, it's a really wonderful unifier of people and, and learning and, and it, just, it just is so much fun to me and I just want for other people to enjoy it too and be able to feel like they're contributing to something much bigger than just, you know, just buying some food and eating it. Yep. Absolutely. absolutely yeah. <laughs> um, hopefully, I, uh, yeah, this is super amazing having you on. I mean, everything that you sent us that you made was absolutely amazing, seriously. And, uh, and I think that for a lot of people, Koji and Miso are a little bit intimidating, especially Chris and I came from beer first. Um, and then we've kind yeah. of progressed along fermentation. But even to me, I've had a lot of experience in different fermentations, but it's still a little bit intimidating. I feel like that our discussion today has really helped give me some confidence and also made me think about it a little bit differently than I did before. And I, I think um, I just got to say I have to say thank you because that's it's been yeah. super. No problem. I mean, that, I mean, as a, as a starter to building the community, you know, I've been reaching out to chefs and just kind of working in kitchens. And I've, I've started doing just pop-up workshops and kind of private sessions in people's homes where I'll come in and show people, you know, how to make miso or what, what am I going to do with, you know, all of this product or, um, you know, whatever it is. I mean, I've done, uh, I've also done uh, pop-ups on, like, how to make your own vinegar and all, you know, all sorts of vinegar applications. So I'm happy to, like, share any sort of ideas with people. If they want to get in contact with me, they can just... Um, email me at rcookquest at gmail. Um, and I'm also happy to help, you know, you guys in terms of learning more about it or if you want me to come out and just, like, make some koji on air and we can just kind of talk about it or make <laughs> that'd it be fun. That'd be, yeah. Now that you suggest that'd be awesome. we can do this. Well, you should come for the fermentation festival <laughs> yeah. in February, February 25th. We'd love to have you down and talk about some yeah. things. It'd be fun. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that sounds like a blast. So for people to follow you, they can go to ourcookquest.blogspot.com. How often do you do things on that? Uh, so I, I'm most active on um, Instagram right now. and as, okay. uh, My handle is just ourcookquest. But um, I actually have uh, an official website, which is ourcookquest.com. So if people want to kind of get in touch with me, see what I'm doing, um, that's kind of the, the starting point. But if you want to really interact with me and show me what you're doing or have questions about anything that has to do with food, get on Instagram because I'm always on there posting my projects or ideas. And, and I'd love to, like, you know, basically um, 
inspire people such that I can be inspired by them and have this, you know, constant chain going of, you know, who, who's doing something cool and, 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 you know, what can I learn from it? Awesome. Thank you so much. I'm so excited that we got to have you on and I, I'm really excited about doing some experimentations of my own. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, if you guys need any hints, again, give me a call or or just uh, email me. And we will. Absolutely. We definitely will. Ourcookquest at gmail.com. Ourcookquest.com. Richard Shee, thank you so much. Cheers. You're welcome. For Man About. Have a good night. You You too. too. listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place and we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.